football reporter for the Associated Press, Ralph Russo. It's no mystery Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation smartly. Find out more at smartrain.net. Ralph, welcome to the big show. Thank you. How are you? Hello, gentlemen. How are you? We're doing fine. Uh, we've been talking in the last few minutes about the importance of quarterback. We were talking over some of the uh, over-under predictions for wins and losses for the Utah Cougars. We'll get to all that, but I want to look at or get from you, big picture-wise, your reaction to the Supreme Court of the United States decision ruling against the NCAA earlier this week. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It was it was pretty devastating if you are the NCAA. So there's two there's two levels to this. Uh, short term, sort of micro, the ruling that the court upheld, the lower court ruling about you know education benefits and caps that are not, not being able to schools and NCAA not being able to cap education benefits to athletes is a fairly narrow ruling. That, yes, I could see the problems that could come about with that. You know, schools could conceivably give, I don't know, is there such a thing as a $25,000 laptop? I mean, you know, you could give a laptop to, to an athlete. And, and, oh, is a car that gets you to class, is that an educational benefit? But, but the NCAA and the schools and the conferences are going to be able to sort of define what an education benefit educational benefit is so that part of it the immediate part of it uh, of how this is going to be have to be dealt with isn't that big of a deal the bigger deal is the ncaa just un, excuse me the, the court just and just undressed the ncaa as far as like future lawsuits i mean what the ncaa was sort of hoping to get out of this is some kind of affirmation that, you know, even if this particular case doesn't go your way, your other rules are still sort of, you know, passing the test of antitrust law. And that stuff all got stripped away so much to the point where the, the 1984 ruling, and I won't bore you, but it, it sort of allowed schools to monetize their TV rights and brought us to where we are today with these billion-dollar television deals. Like, the NCAA had always sort of, even though it lost that case, it had always sort of fallen back on that case because the, the, the court sort of said, listen, we're going to defer to you to make some rules, and we, 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 we're going to provide you a little leeway with these antitrust laws where, like, yeah, you're not really in compliance with them, but – what you're doing here is sort of a special thing, a special type of enterprise, and we're going to give you a little leeway. And that just got blown out of the water. Basically, it was sort of like saying, like, listen, like what, what you were in 1984, you're not now. Now you're running billion-dollar minor league football and basketball industries within what you call amateur sports. Everybody's making millions of dollars here except the players. So the bigger problem going forward for the NCAA and college sports is – they're going to get sued left and right now because basically the justices said, yeah, like you're, you got no defense here, but you know what, what the, the other, anybody else who wants to come after you, you're wide open. So Ralph, what do you think? Is it going to blow it? Is this going to blow this thing wide open? Like you were talking about so that I, I don't know where the limits will be. I mean, will, uh, will, will players be able to be paid left and right? 
Um, I mean, I do think we're heading for a, a point where there will be some kind of compensation, like real compensation. Here, here's, the, here's the way out, though. Figure out a way to get some kind of antitrust exemption from Congress. Now, they're already in front of Congress, the NCAA, asking for help, right, with NIL. So maybe the future is, okay, you know, we let you in for NIL. Can you help us even more? That's not always the best way to go about things, right? <laughs> Having the government run your business is not necessarily the most efficient way to do things. But if you're constantly breaking laws, maybe that's the best way for you to get your house in order. Another way to go about this is collectively bargain with the players. Now, you can do that without them being employees. You can do that without them forming what you would call a labor union. There are ways to do that. Um, and again, that sounds unthinkable, but if you're partners with the players in some way, shape, or form, then all of a sudden all those antitrust laws you were breaking, you're not really breaking them anymore because you're not imposing this on the, on the players as much as you're agreeing with the players to set certain parameters. So that sounds really radical, but I think – now that's not necessarily going to be the immediate future for college sports, but I think college sports could be heading down a path that looks more like that in the coming years. Do you think that uh, the reverence that some people attach to the word amateurism and amateurism in sports – do you think that, that this is a dying idea? Because I, I kind of look at it as the the name and image likeness, even this decision from the, the SCOTUS, I think that it applies to, like, the f- top 5%. There are still going to be guys and gals in college sports that are going to be students that happen to play sports. But I don't know. What are your thoughts? No, no. I, I listen. I, 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 I kind of go back to what I would say, what I mentioned before, and I'll expand on a little bit. Like, the college sports model works for lots of college sports, right? It's, it's just a, a basically an extracurricular activity in Division Two, and Division Three, and even at the Division One level in some of these other sports. It's something that is a good complement to an education, and you're fortunate enough to get a little to get some money to go to school in a lot of cases for it with a scholarship at some levels. Like that model works really really well for most of college sports the problem is when you have that model and then you take a billion dollar business which is college which is college football and you jam it into that model the model busts open because now everybody looks around and says well wait a second the offensive coordinators make in a million the running backs coach is making 400,000 right like every deputy AD is making a six-figure salary, and the players who are running this business that's generating billions of dollars aren't getting anything, and that's where it breaks. And that was if you read Judge Kavanaugh's concurrence. Now, his concurrence is not a ruling. It's not binding. Like there's nothing in there that says, like, oh, this sets precedent. But it was a pretty good takedown of, like, listen, like you just can't, you can't run a business and not pay the workers just because you say, well, that's, that's just the way we do it around here. And that's the problem. It's become such a big business. It's just, it just doesn't fit in the model anymore. Well, I'll tell you, Ralph, when I read what he wrote, I thought I did, I had the same reaction you did. It was like, Whoa, Whoa. The, the NCAA is, is going to like this. So, 
Uh, well, listen, guys, listen, guys, and I'm certainly not here to make it political, but think of where we are in this country. A 9-0 decision with that, with, those, with, with Kavanaugh and Sotomayor and, all those, and those justices all agreeing where, where we are politically in this country, I think kind of sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah, that's a solid point. Yeah. Ralph, how long have you been covering college football now? It's been a while. Yeah, well, in this particular job for, I think it's like 16, 17 years, yeah. and it goes back a little further than that. So, so the reason I wanted you to set the table out was I'm curious to know what you think of Utah football and, and what direction that program, how far that program has come in your mind as you have covered all this stuff. Yeah, you know, the funny thing is I, I just I had a tweet today about sort of like very complimentary of Kyle Whittingham because – it was one of these, you know, things that you find on Twitter where somebody will ask, you know, uh, what coach sort of gets like uh, has a has a great success but with very little recognition, and I sort of tweeted his name out there, right? Um, because he does a phenomenal job, and Utah football is has become one of the bedrocks of the Pac-12 in a Pac-12 where there is very little stability. Utah has provided like stable success and part of this the this part of the reason why they are successful is because in a, in a conference where there has been very little stability in a lot of the top programs they have that stability um you know uh, i think that they have um they're probably a program with a little bit of a ceiling as far as whether as we saw a couple of years ago like are they ever going to be a program that has national championship sort of caliber teams Probably not. Uh, and when you look at what those national championship caliber teams look like, when you look at the Ohio State and the Alabamas, and the very, very small group of teams that, that are qualify as elite, do I think Utah can get there? Probably not, because it's probably not recruiting at that level. But I mean, they got good. They're always good on the lines, and they've got really good coaches. And as of right now, I would take them as maybe the favorites in the Pac-12 South. And, and they, and again, they do this every year while constantly sort of being underrated. They, they always go into these seasons a little overlooked. Now, not a couple of years ago when they had their big 10-win ten, ten season, but they come in a little overlooked, and all of a sudden you get to November, and you're like, wow, Utah's really good again. And that's, and that's been Utah football's brand for the last, you know, basically about 10 years. Uh, John Wilner, who you're aware of and maybe even know, writes for the San Jose Mercury News, he joined uh, this show when the Utes were first announced as joining the Pac-12, and we asked him how long before Utah wins a Rose Bowl, and he said 25 years. (laughs) What does Ralph Russo say now that we're 12 years down the road from that? Well, I mean, we are halfway there. Yeah, <laughs> and, 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 and again, and and then again, for all the complimentary things to say about Utah, right? They haven't won. They haven't gotten over the the hump because you know even after winning two Pac-12 South titles. Now, the other part of it, I would say, is what it means to be and even reach a Rose Bowl is going to change, right? Because because the new playoff system might make being in a Rose Bowl a very different thing. I would say that. This season's got a pretty good chance. My guess is here's what I would generally say with those things. If you're in the hunt, you'll break through at some point. If you're constantly in the hunt at some point, things will break in your favor and you will be and you will get there. So are they going to go another 13 years without, let's say, winning a Pac-12? 
and, and I'll stop you there, Ralph. I was wrong. It's been 10 years. Uh, it was okay. a, they, okay. they joined in 2011. So anyway, but That's, your yeah. point remains. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. But I mean, so, so do I think that they they will go 15 more years without, let's say, mm-hmm. winning a Pac-12? Let's put the Rose Bowl aside because again, that might not be the the the, the crown jewel for winning the Pac-12. Sure. I would say they would probably. I would take the under on that. <laughs> on 15 more years, I would take the under because again, they've proven that they have the ability to be in the mix. They have a formula and a good identity and have a pretty good idea of how to maximize what they have. They don't have the best of everything. When I say that, I mostly am talking about access to really elite recruits. But kind of like Wisconsin and and maybe in Iowa, they have a really good formula for seeing here's what we do well. Here are the players that we can get, that we can get a lot of them. And let's do the best we can with that formula. And programs like that to me are, you know, you're going to be in the hunt. So, again, if we're talking over under 15 years before Utah wins the Pac-12, I would take the under. So, Ralph, uh, let's go down a little farther south, 45 miles, BYU. Did you buy what they were selling last year, or do you have sort of a little bit of skepticism there? Uh, They lost uh, the number two pick in the draft obviously, and now they're trying to put it back together against a very difficult schedule this year. What do you make of BYU football? Yeah, I, I don't think the encore is going to be very good because I just I just don't listen. I just don't think you can lose a player like they lost with Wilson and, and just think like, oh, okay, well, we'll, we'll pick up from where, where we left off. They also had a really good offensive line and, um, last year, and they lost some major pieces to that too. So uh, with a with a with a really tough schedule and no Wilson, I imagine a a fallback this year. I will say this about Utah: I I was pretty much buying what they were selling last year, and I am I am thoroughly convinced that if they played Coastal Carolina on normal rest in a normal week with normal preparation, that they would have beat them. I, I mean, that was a fabulous game, and that's not taking anything away from the Chanticleers, who were a fab- fabulous story. But there was also no doubt in my mind after watching that football game which one which one was the better team, and I thought you, uh, the BYU was the better team that had a few things that not went go their way and probably got a little antsy with their play calling. Um, I thought that that team probably could have competed, maybe not with the very best teams of the in the country, not Alabama because Alabama was all time great and maybe like the, the elite of the elite. But if you took the next tier of teams, you know, let's say five to fourteen or so, I thought BYU would, would, would represent pretty well with Wilson and, and that offensive line last year. Now again, what, what's in store for this year when you when you lose a guy like Wilson um, is probably a pretty good regression against that schedule. Uh, but Kalani Sataki seems to have a pr- pretty good idea of what he's doing now. And I think getting some of that Utah, that excuse me, that BYU identity back, um, I'm sure it helped the program a lot too. But again, I, I just think that, you know, if they had a great year last year, I would be hard-pressed to see them repeating that. He's Ralph Russo. Follow him on Twitter, Ralph D. Russo AP. Get his work at collegefootball.ap.org. We'll do this again several times uh, over the offseason and this coming season, Ralph. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Be well.